Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power Call, welcome. I am so looking forward to my conversation with Sam Sorbo today. She has a long career as an actress, writer, producer, and podcast host. And many of you may already know her, her through her earlier works, where she, which she co-wrote with her husband, Kevin Sorbo. Um, they have three children. And she has so much to share so that I want to get right into the conversation. So please, wave your hands to welcome Sam Sorbo. <laughs> Hello, nice. Sam. Welcome. That was a lovely introduction. Well, thank you. You're a lovely and person. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Good to be here. You feel, yes. You feel the concussive power of their hands. I love it. That's right. Uh, Sam, you were born Sandra Lynn Jenkins. How did Sam become your name? I was the fourth of four girls, and I think my parents wanted a boy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> At least to their fantasies. You know, we first met several years ago. Uh, you appeared with Kevin on Hallmark Channel's Home and Family program. And at that time, you were talking about true faith, embracing adversity to live in God's light, and true strength, my journey from Hercules to mere mortal, and how nearly dying saved my life. Now, those are both books that you shared your experiences with what Kevin was going through here he is, half man, half God, character Hercules, and he became very ill. I know this; these are challenges that you faced, and 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 I didn't know about that. You kept it so well hidden that I had never heard that information until you came on the show. Uh, what actually happened? Uh, Kevin had, um, you know, he was playing the strongest man in the world, and he had a, a health issue that... Um, became exacerbated mainly because he was pushing himself so hard at that point. Um, and you know, the, the whole athlete sort of, uh, shoot it with cortisoid, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. cortisol, whatever, mm-hmm. uh, get back out on the field kind of thing. And, uh, right. so he suffered three strokes. Wow. And through, so through a series did they, of events. Did they make concessions to keep the show and going? Also, I will say I will say that the doctors sort of poo-pooed his symptoms because he was Hercules, and so they uh, just looked at him and they're like, "Well, how could this guy possibly be sick? Look at him; he's the picture of health." And so um, it was a bit of a combination of both those things conspiring uh, <laughs> against him. So he had three strokes. He uh, he was severely debilitated. He spent months basically just lying on the couch, and when he did go back to work, um, he worked for an hour a day. That's all they could. They could get, and then slowly over the next year, he worked back up to never, never the full schedule again. But he worked back up to uh, sort of a, a eight-hour day or a ten-hour day, um, and because up until that point he'd been putting in fourteen to sixteen-hour days, maybe more. Sure. Um, yeah. With those working are, those out. Those are the crazy schedules. And, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's the hardest job in television. Is is starring in a one-hour show that is, you know, a a hero buddy show as probably one of the hardest jobs um, in the industry, frankly. Um, and yeah, that and yeah. that goes 
across the board. So everybody working on those shows is putting in um, extra hours because what happens is you'll shoot a 12-hour day or longer, and then you come back, but you come back later the next day. And then the next day is later again, and you shoot another 12 hours. And so by Friday, you're shooting into Saturday morning. Uh, and so it's, it's like it's harder than shift work because you can't, your body can't actually acclimate to any particular rhythm, right? So by Saturday, you're, you're dead tired because you didn't sleep Saturday, uh, you know, Friday night, and then you've got to go back and get up early Monday morning to get back to work at it. So, um, so you know, that it is. Yep. It is a horrific job to try to do. But I imagine the next one, next part of that journey also is kind of challenging. You came back to the States and you had three children. Well, Their schedules don't so, match anything either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, he learned so much through this um, tremendous um, struggle that he had, that we both did, that when he negotiated his contract for Andromeda, which was the 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 next series that he did after Hercules and and you know he he basically didn't miss a step I mean they had to rewrite the Hercules shows but they shot all of the Hercules shows um, and and then he went on to do Andromeda but he negotiated a twelve hour day mm. for Andromeda which meant that they couldn't they couldn't go into overtime and so they couldn't keep everybody late which meant that they started at whatever 6 a.m. every morning, five days a week. And by the end of the second week, the guys were going up to him and thanking him for negotiating that contract because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if he hadn't, then, then it would have been back to that worse-than-shift work kind of a schedule. But as it was, um, they, still, they still turned out a great show, and um, they didn't have to you know, kill people over it. And trust me, he nearly died. So I was just glad he that he was still... Alive, yeah. So, now, did that have any that kind of scheduling have anything to do with your decision to homeschool your kids? No, no, no. Um, okay. The the homeschooling came much later. Uh, we had we had kids. We we struggled to have kids. That's so. Kevin's story about fighting through this illness, which is um, just a very inspirational story, is in the book True Strength. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and. Then we did a follow-up book called True Faith, which talks about um, just just living your faith while you're working and doing and being. And, um, and it goes into the struggle that we had to conceive. Um, his body was severely compromised, obviously, from the strokes, and so he just wasn't, wasn't very well. And it took us a long time. We wanted kids, and it just took us a long time to get there. Um, then we, we had the three kids, uh, and my, my first was, went through second grade and we, we moved to a new part of town just because the schools were so much better and it, it was going to be a better situation for the kids. And I realized that the school was just not serving him. It was underserving him. It wasn't providing what I thought of as education, and so I pulled him and I, and I said to Kevin, you know, I, I just, I just want to try it for a semester. I just want to see what all the fuss is about because I, I had met some people who homeschooled and I'd met homeschooled kids. And so I, I would, I had been sort of toying with the whole thing. And once I pulled him out, I mean, there was just, I, I would like to say there was no going back, but that's not true. 
Um, that's the story that I tell in the book, They're Your Kids, mm-hmm. uh, which is subtitled An Inspirational Journey from Self-Doubter to Homeschool Advocate. I had no idea what I was in for. And by that, I mean, I thought that it was going to be much more difficult um, and that it was going to be much more tedious, but I was willing to sacrifice, you know, for my kids kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. now I've literally flipped that narrative on its head with the truth, which is that parents have no idea what they're sacrificing when they send their children to school. If they did, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't even consider sending their children to school. But because we've all been steeped in the school paradigm, we think nothing of surrendering our children to complete strangers who don't have their best interests at heart um, because Which that's the way that it's always been done. Yeah. Now, do, do you, I saw that you had just completed a, a, a film called Schools Out. Do you talk about that in the film? So this problem. I love that. It's it's actually a, an ongoing television show that I do for ah, Epoch okay. TV. And so mm-hmm. you can go to Epoch TV and um, just search up uh, Sam Sorbo. School's Out with Sam Sorbo is the name of the show. Um, and it's like a half hour show once a week. Uh, every Monday I come out with a new episode. And I've learned, I have to say that I've grown so much through doing this show because it's forcing me to sort of put put into words in an organized fashion everything that I've learned over the years, and it's been well over a decade now, of raising my children outside of the school system and just the tremendous damage that our education system has done and is continuing to do to children. And so we are all victims of really what what is uh, disservice, tremendous disservice, because the the education system is not educating. It is demonstrably anti-education. And so we're, we think that we're getting one thing, but in fact we're getting the, the very opposite of that thing. Um, and, and I can prove it very, very easily. If you and I have a conversation and we try to sort of sum up what is education, um, let's, let's agree that education is at least the quest for knowledge, Right. Okay, we'll go there. Right? I mean, that, that yes, seems reasonable. It's, right. it's many things, but that's certainly one of the things is a quest mm-hmm. for knowledge. We want knowledge. We want our kids to have knowledge. Um, and they go to school to know things, right? That's why we test, <laughs> to find out if right. they know the stuff, right? <laughs> right. And Did so they get it? Right. Say, right. So we say, okay, uh, it's a quest for knowledge. Now, what's the first thing that you learn in school when you have a, when you, when you have a question or you have to say something in class? The first thing you raise your hand. You have to raise your hand, right? Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. act of raising your hand actually forces you to embody the message of what raising your hand represents. Well, what does it represent? Well, it represents you have to wait your turn. You have to um, ask for permission. You have to be obedient and compli- compliant, right? And mm-hmm. um, and you don't speak until you're spoken to. And, and all of these things, you have to bring attention to yourself. You have to be willing to risk bringing um, unwanted attention to yourself, right? You have to, will, mm-hmm. you have to be willing to risk being uh, thought of as stupid because the moment that the teacher says there are no stupid questions is the first time that you consider that maybe there's a stupid question, and there probably <laughs> is, which means also the teacher just mm-hmm. lied to you, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're mm-hmm. now questioning that. But in any case, 
the, the ultimate lesson of raising your hand is don't question. It's not anything less than that because that's what it devolves into. It's don't question. Who wants to raise their hand? Who wants to do that? Nobody. Except the does real apply? Solid, right? Yeah. Does that apply also to the process of learning how to stand in line? Oh, all of it is, is um, look, it's not education. It's social engineering. That's what education, that's what, that's what mm-hmm. the school system is, right? But if you right. think that, that the very first thing you learn, raise your hand, don't talk out of turn, all of that stuff is really teaching you don't question, which, which it is. Okay, it just it just is it, it sets up a barrier to questioning. So so the so the the goal is don't question. And we've defined education as a quest for knowledge. Well, what does a quest for knowledge begin with? It begins with a question. Absolutely. Well, so, so you've been yeah. this is this has become a, a major uh, project for you in terms of not just homeschooling your own kids, but homeschooling. Uh, through you know public speaking and that sort of thing, and you, you know, even have your own radio show, right? That that or podcast yeah, I mean, that does this. Sharon, what, what it's become my mission is to free mm-hmm. parents from the shackles of the education industry, and and we are all slaves to our our former educators. In fact, I mean, one of the quotes in my book is um, that you know if you if you have the opportunity to instruct a child for you know, the first, the formative years of his life, he will never be able to do anything uh, that his instructor would disapprove of. That, and that mm-hmm. is part of the goal, right? So we inherited our education system from the Prussians, and they were mainly interested in, um, in raising up a military. Well, what is the number one rule in the military is obey and don't question. You don't question your orders, you obey. No, not at all. And so, mm-hmm. so that's what we have. So, my whole focus these days really is to to free people from those from the bonds, right? Because why do people put their kids in school? Let me ask you something. You raise a child to the age of five or six. You've taught the child to tie his shoes, to eat properly with maybe with a knife and fork kind of thing, to wipe his mouth, to clear his plate maybe, um, to get dressed in the morning, to brush his teeth. You've taught him all these things, and then all of a sudden you're useless, and now it's time the school takes over for what? For ABCs? You're telling me you can't teach a child his, ABT, his ABCs? You can't teach the alphabet? It's a song. Like, like, how difficult is this stuff? But no, no, you've got to surrender your kids at the age of five or six, get them in there. And now, of course, we see that they're pushing for preschool. Well, there's no wonder. They want the kids earlier and earlier because they know that they can control them better and better. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting because, you know, you just recently um, – I think it was this morning's news, actually. Michael Bloomberg put out a post that he's going to donate $750 million to find an alternate form of school for children, especially poor children, because the schools are failing us so badly. And I thought that was an unlikely thing, <laughs> you know, thing for him to do. But he's, he's looking, I think, at charter schools. Yeah, whatever. Here's the problem. The school paradigm holds that the teacher has all the knowledge and the only way to access it is for you to behave, shut up, and raise your hand. And the teacher controls the spigot of knowledge. And that is a false paradigm. 
That is the lie. So if your school is founded on teachers instructing the students in, you know, classrooms of more than 12 kids where you have to raise your hand or it's, or it's chaos, then you are not involved in, the, in, in education. You're involved in schooling. So, so, there's, so the other thing is that it removes the child from the parents, which is the worst possible thing you can do for that relationship. If, mm-hmm. if um, you know, we, we struggle to make marriages work when both people are working and they barely see each other. And they're adults, and so they know what's at stake. They know what's involved. But you're talking about trying to forge a relationship with a young person who doesn't even know how relationship works yet, and you're sending him away from you for several hours a day. And then, by the way, you're bringing him back home, and you're standing over him with your finger pointing, saying, you get your work done, you get your homework done, which to me is child abuse. You, you should not consider sending your child to some institution for seven or eight hours a day and then forcing him to work when he comes home. That's just child abuse. That's just, that's just rude. And we should never have gone, parents should never have gone along with that. I get it. If they you have, and it was even worse for a little bit. Now yeah. it's even worse. It was even, because yes. Now I mean, you're forcing the child to sit on a zoom conference for, for heavenly mm-hmm. days. It's terrible. Yes. It's ter- and, and your parents education. are, I, I worked with that We had, Sorry, yeah, I have a, one of our um, executive producers on, on Home and Family went through this with her, her children at home last year over the whole COVID situation, and they, there were huge fights. They didn't want her in that role of being the teacher pointing the finger. It was a, well, a real well, that, breakdown. That, that's, that's because the school has broken that relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not for the school to do that, and the school should never do that, but it can't help. It can't help it because when you drop your kindergartner off at school, that first day of school, you're telling that child that you are incapable. And so, so any chance that you have to assert your, um, your sovereignty within your home, you've already undermined it because you told the child, I'm helpless, I'm incapable, I'm going to take you to school where they will teach you all the knowledge that you need. There is no knowledge here. All the knowledge is in the school. And if you, if you want to argue with me and say, well, you know, clearly my kid knows that I know something, yeah, but the first time that you go up against the school, the school wins because you told the child the school knows better than I do. Mm. So these That's parents who are struggling spot. with home education mm-hmm. during COVID, well, they're not doing homeschooling. They're doing, they're doing some weird, uh, you know, perversion of whatever the schools do and they're trying to do it at home. And so they're just at a tremendous disadvantage. And, and there's a part of me, look, homeschooling has doubled in the past year, probably more now um, because of all of the, the different mandates that are coming down. And, and now that we're seeing really what the teachers are, or the, the school boards are most interested in teaching your children, which is not education. It's, it's, it's really regression back to, um, uh, you know, with, the, with, with CRT, the 1619 mm-hmm. Project, the comp- mm-hmm. comprehensive sex education. I mean, this is just back to animalistic whatever. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so, but, but at the same time, because so many parents had to struggle through what you mentioned your um, executive producer was struggling through, and they're like, oh, man, I, I can't even begin, so I'm just going to give up. 
and send the kids off to school. It's, it's, it's a travesty. It's the, the destruction of the relationship. And so I talk about this on the show and I talk about it on my podcast. Um, there are ways to redeem your relationship with your children, but it's going to take you coming to the table with some humility and some recognition that you blew it to begin with because you told the child that you couldn't. That you couldn't do And by it. the way, like, there's no condemnation. You, you mm-hmm. did what society said was the reasonable, uh, you know, honest thing to do. So there's no condemnation. However, if you want a relationship with your child, you're going to have to come to the, to the table with something to offer. And the one thing that you can offer is your humility and your willingness to work with them and, and try to forge ahead. You have your podcast is not just about homeschooling. It's it's really a, a, a snapshot of social, you know, our social existence. You, you take on some pretty heady issues, uh, not the least of which is in your your work. Words for warriors. You have you've really taken on the liberal establishment in that one. Yeah, so the book Words for Warriors grew out of this, The really it grew out of the idea that um, if you look up fascism, the mm-hmm. dictionary online, which is the Oxford Dictionary, Google uses it, right? It, it, just, it defines fascism as right wing. There's no way that it's right wing. The fascists used all of the left wing tactics. They have the same artwork as the communists. They're, they, they, they joined with the communists. Mussolini was a fascist. He joined with Hitler. Like, they, but but somehow they've decided that nationalism and fascism are uh, are are you know intricately entwined, and that's just not true. And so it bothered me so much, and I started looking around, and I realized they've redefined a ton of words the leftists yes. have. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so you know we need to reclaim our language because our language is what we used to think. And if we don't have the proper tools to think, we no longer can think. So I wrote Words for Words. I wrote it, it was almost on a dare. It's pretty snarky and sarcastic. Um, <laughs> and I put, in some, I put in some of the newer terms like NPC, which is, stands for non-player character, which is, I think, so fascinating that, that the video game industry has this thing that they, they put in non-playing characters to sort of further you along in the game. So they will say one or two things um, repetitively, but they, but they don't do anything other than that. They're just a non-playing character. And we call them NPCs. And the, the meme for the NPC is a, is a gray face with two dots and a nose and no mouth generally. And, um, and this is what we're living in today. A bunch of NPCs that have that they can only say, "Please raise your mask over your nose." Please raise your mask over your nose. Yes, and they and they, <laughs> you know, and um, they can only say the 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 few things that they've been taught to say. They're programmed like ideologues, and um, and that's the world that we live in today. So I, you know, I I was a little prescient in putting NPC in the book, um, but. But um, there are lots of other fun words that I threw in there. Turf is another one. What's turf? <laughs> What's turf? Where, where you live? <laughs> it's your turf? Uh, no, no. Turf is T-E-R-F. It's um, trans-exclusionary feminist, uh, uh, radical feminist. Trans-exclusionary radical feminist. So it's the feminists who say, hey, men can't be women because then – there is no such thing as women, and we support women. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> so they they coined the term when um, uh, Martina Navratilova came out and said, "Hey, this whole trans movement, I'm not on board. I'm I'm a lesbian, and I you know there are two genders. That's it." And then um, uh, J.K. Well, Rowling, a, mm-hmm. right? But and so she was canceled. J.K. Rowling then came out and said, "Trans." people don't menstruate or something like that. Like it was a pretty banal thing that she said, uh-huh. um, but boy, they canceled her, which is fascinating because she's a darling of the left, but they, they did not appreciate that. And so, so turfs in the book, because these are words that you need to know. Absolutely. I mean, there's a whole, I, I find it very interesting because um, I, I do watch quite a bit of Fox and um, Stuart Varney was, has been saying, sort of apologetically for President Biden that he doesn't have a clue. He doesn't know how to solve the problems that he's gotten us into. And the more I heard him say that, the more I went, wait, no, he knows exactly what he's doing. This is the, this is the playbook of the left to tear everything down, to have our entire economy implode. And then they can do what they want because they'll have the power and the control. So I don't, give him any apologies for not knowing anything. I think he knows more than we think he knows. Yeah. But that's my my slant on a difficult topic. You know? When was the last time you heard a president say that he didn't know? And, and get away with ago. it. Be like, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, you couldn't do this. <laughs> you could not be in this position of just not being aware of anything, just moving around. And who is, you know, it's, who's the power behind the throne? We're all wondering, and no one is coming out and, and saying who it is. The closest they've come is alluding to Susan Rice. So right. it is, it, it's quite a, a time we're in, as they say, that curse. May you live in interesting times. Yeah. So exactly. we are in interesting times, and you are out there being the warrior in the world, trying to get that message out. How do people get to your podcast? Where, where is it found? So I'm on YouTube and Rumble and Locals. They can go to sorbos.locals.com. Um, it's also on uh, Mojo Five O, which is the radio portion. So Mojo50.com. And I'm on wherever podcasts are as well. Mm-hmm. I can just type in uh, your name. Google Play. Yeah. The Sam Sorbo Show. Is that the full title? That's correct. Okay. Okay, that's good. And the books are available on Amazon and all good booksellers for orders? Yes, absolutely. And at my website, samsorbo.com. So you know what? You can just go to my website for all things Sam Sorbo, but um, the books are there. And I, did, I, I have posted a number of just videos to encourage parents to, um, to parent their children, and that involves their education. Uh, parenting mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. educating your children. So, and for some reason, we've bifurcated that. We've divided it because the state wanted control of the kids. And so I'll leave you with this thought. You know, um, in the United States, we have a government that is supposedly of the people, by the people, and for the people, wherein the power to govern resides with the people, and it is lent to our government by the people, right? But we're not mm-hmm. learning American civics anymore. We're not learning about how the government works and in our schools. And that's because there's a tremendous conflict of interest between the government and the citizens' education. But we've surrendered that to the government. And so now the government is teaching the citizens that it is the answer. 
because government can't help itself. It always seeks to grow. Indeed. More power, more money, bigger and bigger. Take your kids out of public school. And go to my website, (laughs) samstorber.com, and I'll show you what to do next. But first, get them out of school. (laughs) Well, that's a good start. So so thank you so much for visiting us today, Sam, and and I'd like to thank our listeners as well. We've been talking with Sam Sorbo about her numerous projects, including the Sam Sorbo Show, Words for Warriors, and any number of other movies and and, uh, books that she's written over time. You can go to uh, samsorbo.com, correct, and find out all of this. Yeah. So thank you again, Sam. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. As we close out our call, uh, I'd love to get a get an idea, bring an idea out of your head and into the world the way Sam does, because that's it becomes a mission to empower people to create and to live a life they love and where they make they feel as if they've made a difference at the end of the day. So for what for any more information that you need, please you can always check. Uh, for me as well at Susan at SusanShareko.com. So thanks. Thanks for the program today, everybody. Have a great day, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shereko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.